Robinson on. He's and it's goal of the season, Frank Most people would say I was mad. Hello and welcome along to another episode of the Downhill Second Half Podcast. As ever, joining me, Ian DL, a man who uses his computer so much, the keys are more knackered than Jonathan Fortune when he turned up for his short, ill-fated spell at the club. It's our podcast producer, James Harrison. <laughs> at least it wasn't Collins John. <laughs> and alongside him, he's big, he's blonde, he's here to make an impact. No, it's not the short-term loan signing from 2010, Phil Walsh. It's Mr. Craig Clayton. I'm nervous, chaps. I'm nervous. <laughs> <laughs> here to make an impact. Um, and today, that's it. We've got no extra person on the show, um, so no further introductions are needed. Um, but yeah, I think as Craig said, maybe a bit nervous about this one today. Uh, it's something we've broached a couple of times on previous episodes in different guises. Um, and it's partly in response. We had some really, you know, fair questions from some of our very kind listeners who've said to us on our various accounts on social media, you know, why don't you three go much anymore? You know, some of the players even alluded to the fact that, you know, you know all this stuff about the club and all these memories. Why is it? Um, We've kind of hinted at the answer before, but we're going to kind of delve into that today um, and try and approach it as properly and sensibly as we can, I think. So today is all about the biggest dividing issue probably in the history of Barnet Football Club, and that is the move to the Hive. Yeah, I think it's a... So I said I was nervous, and, and part of the reason for that is that... Um, well, two things, actually. One, I think that we all have a fairly similar feeling on it, so it might be difficult to achieve balance, but, but also because... I think whilst we'll try and be as honest and really talk about it as sort of openly as we can, I always think there's the risk of upsetting some people who have a different opinion on this. And I just wanted to probably say up front that wasn't the wasn't the plan. I thought we'd always been quite balanced on this subject, but we got feedback from a, a listener um, that perhaps we hadn't been. So I guess, um, yeah, now I'm a bit nervous. But Yeah, I, th- I, th- I think it's probably a good opportunity to get things off our chest, but... Uh to try and be as balanced as possible. Because, yeah, you're right, Craig. We, we, the three of us probably do come at it from the same angle. But uh, I, I think we took different routes to get there. And obviously, we'll, we'll explore that as we go through uh, go through it today. But, um, Ian, I suppose you've probably got a different view on it as well. Yeah, no, absolutely. And, and look, you know, in the past, I, well, certainly when it happened and emotions were a bit more raw, I'm not going to pretend I've always maybe put my points across in the best way. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's been a, it's an emotional topic for a lot of people. It still is a very emotive topic for Barnet fans. Um, but then, yeah, let's, let's, let's try and do it some justice and kind of maybe explore why some of those feelings are there. And, and you know, those listening, see if this resonates with you. If it doesn't, it'd be interesting to hear kind of the, the different viewpoints on that. Um, so before we kind of delve into the the move itself, obviously Barnet leaving Underhill was something that was on the cards for a long time. It wasn't it wasn't a complete shock that the move happened. Um, you know, I, I know when I started going at the sort of turn of the century, I remember there being uh, one program in particular with this huge uh, pullout thing about Claremont Road over in Hendon that they were going to share the ground with them and redevelop that. And obviously that never happened for for either club. Obviously Hendon also. Uh, ended up moving out and, and seemingly getting a raw deal from Barnet Council. Um, and, you know, then you had the South Underhill developments, the Copsall thing a little bit earlier than that with Prescott blocking that. So, you know, it, it, was, a, it was a long road there, obviously, with the KBA all going on in the background as well at the time. Um, but then when the move did happen, 
it feels like a lot of what what the aim of it was maybe was lost there. Well, that's an, I was going to say that's an interesting point. So I, my recollection is that Coptal's the first real conversation that was going on about about leaving Underhill. Um, and if I remember rightly, although an element of that was about maybe Underhill being a bit old and the slope and what and the redevelopment problems you would have to make it you know legable, um, I think uh, that felt more like growth and ambition than it did a last resort having to get out and it's an it's another interesting one Coptal as well because to some extent so I I think Coptal would have been brilliant they were gonna as I understand it extend the tube line so that um from Mill Hill East it would have been another stop you'd have had that access there's relatively good road access uh to to Coptal as well I think I'm not sure which road it is. It's off the North Circus, the A1 or something that, that that connects in there. Rough uh, M1 goes close. M1. So it, you know, so it's 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 kind of achievable. Um, and I, like I say, I would have supported it. But to some extent, I can't quite rationalise why I would be in favour of that, um, and then and feel so strongly about the hive. I don't know. Well, James, would you, from your perspective, do you think you would have gone to Coptal had it been Coptal? Well, well, Coptal predates me. Um, so I wasn't going at the point where Coptal was a thing and the original, the original KBA in its original guise was a thing. Um, whether I would have started going to Barnet or not, if they moved to Coptal before I, I think I, I started going in 2001. So, you know, I had a, I was, I didn't grow up in Barnet, I grew up in Potter's Bar, but I, it was basically the next town. So that's why I started going when I, when I did, if Coptal, they'd moved to Coptal by then, I'm not sure whether I would have started going or not. Uh, but like Ian alluded to, you then from that point, you had South Underhill quite quickly. And then there seemed to be other things that were going on at the time that felt a little bit more urgent in terms of things that were being put on the club around issues around the ground. So the car park, the pitch gradient, there was talk about ground sharing at Leighton Orient and there's ground sharing at yeah, Stevenage, cool. if, if, if you remember, because um, things were genuinely wrong with Underhill. Um, so there was all sorts of things that were happening in the background all the way through the 2000s and the late 90s. Uh, it just seemed like the problem wouldn't go away. It's, it's an interesting point, that, because, um, so like I said, the Coptal one was was pitched, I think, as growth and ambition uh, for the club. And, and, and when that didn't happen, the narrative did seem to change a little bit into one of um, survival, which is, a, which is a different point. Well, I think, I think, I think just because I think on that, uh, I've got some stuff here from a little bit of pre, pre-show pre research that you say Copter was like the late 90s and that didn't happen. But like you said, I think the narrative was changing and it certainly changed quite quickly. Um, probably once we got relegated out of the league in 2001, that's when it changed, like this desperation that the club has to move to progress or whatever. Um, but I've got a programme here from uh, the 99-2000 season against Plymouth Argyle, uh, March the 21st, 2000. Um, and it's one of the programmes with the big pullout about the move to Hendon, which... I, I was very young. I can't remember what the, what the mood was like amongst fans. Those older than me, I'm sure, can remember that. Um, but it's interesting. There's, there's a Q&A with Tony Glenthos in the programme where he answers maybe some of the support questions or worries. And I'm not going to go through all of it. But there's two bits that really stand out for me, um, especially given the location of Hendon, you know, where it is in the borough. It's not, it, of course, it is Barnet, but it's not Barnet, Barnet, as we know. It's not too far from the border to Harrow. It's not, and so it's not a great difference to what ended up happening 12, 13 years later. Um, but so the first question in this Q&A is just how easy will it be to get to Hendon? 
And he replies that there's absolutely no point in building a 10,000 capacity stadium if our supporters can't get there. Um, he then goes on, I'm not going to go word for word, but he talks about public transport uh, being making it accessible and whatever else, a little bit like the Copsall plans in the 90s. Um, and it says, you know, they've been asked to negotiate with London Transport to see if an, an arrangement can be made whereby the club purchases the tickets to allow supporters to travel from Barnet High Street for free, which again, not for free, but a similar approach was taken in at the Hive um, in the first few seasons. I think till last season they had the shuttle bus, which we might come on to in a bit because there are reasons why that might not have worked as well. Um, just but while we're on the Hendon move and, and some of the parallels it's got in the same article, he's asked um, what will happen if the supporters prefer to stay at Underhill rather than move to Hendon. And so, he, you know, he accepts the fact that a lot of supporters would like to stay at Underhill. Um, he says that at the time there was an Internet poll of 250 approximately and 84 percent were in favour of the move. I'm not surprised by those numbers at all. Um, it's his point at the end here, which I think resonates massively even now, 21 years after this article was written. Uh, it says, ultimately, if support for the move is less than 75 percent, then I'll seriously reconsider my position at the club. I do not want to leave 2000 people where 500 do not want to go. Unity is crucial for a club of our size. I mean, the sentence at the end there. Well, I, yeah, so I couldn't be more. I think he's right. Um, but it, I, I would add in his defence, um, he's also responsible for trying to bring the fans together. And messages like that, are, you know, that is, there's an element of PR in there, I think, as well. So I, I, I would just, I, I would say it's worth cautioning against holding him to a statement like that. But, but I would agree that it does feel the position changed. Um, so it, that, that was a time where we wanted overwhelmingly, or an overwhelming support to move. Uh, and when we moved, I think we probably had a an underwhelming <laughs> uh, support to move, and and that didn't seem to be um, be a concern. The, and to, to one of the things I wanted to add, because you, you brought the the annual uh, threat of late Lorient <laughs> um, uh, up as well, I, that was another interesting one because it seemed that, and I'm not saying it wasn't true, but every year there was a another reason or the same reason um, why this was the year that we'd be playing our last game under and have to move. And then, you know, a car park would turn up or, uh, a, a, or an you know, additional seating in a stand or, or whatever the thing might be um, that meant that we could save the day. And, um, I, and perhaps a cynical view might be that there was a little bit of um, negotiating with the council going on there and maybe some of that, that negotiation being played through the, the, the press and, 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 and other things. Um, but it was just odd. That again, like I say, we, um, moving from the late nineties, growth and ambition to the two thousands, where, as you say, became desperation. And annually, we had a real threat of the club going bust or having to play uh, another ground in London. I, I think, I think it was South Underhill. I think can probably come under the bracket of it was a little bit ambitious, uh, and it felt like a a new development that could be uh, fulfil the uh, needs of the club at the time. But when that didn't go through, I didn't. Think, I don't think that even got past Barnet Council. That yeah. was the point, I think, where it became that desperation that you talk about. You know, there's always there was always a reason for it being the last year at Underhill, like you said. And you know, talking of Barnet Council, um, oh, uh, there could be a can of worms open here, but it was it got ugly, it didn't it? It got it got really quite ugly at times. And I remember <laughs> going, to, I remember going to Hendon to bloody town hall meetings council yeah, I meetings. Was there. um oh, i think i was about 12 or 13 no, i thought yeah. i didn't understand any of what was yeah, going on I, I, in a, I, I had, in a yeah, 
Yeah, yeah, in, yeah, absolutely. No idea what was going on whatsoever, and it was all around that. But it was just around, uh, I suppose, being fifteen and naively, sh- naively showing support for the club at, at the time. But uh, after that point, it just all just all uh, went up in the air, and it yeah, seemed well, that, like that the, was, the relationship that between the club just just, just d- deteriorated. Because that was, I think, that was two thousand and two, just before the 0203 season, and then that season. I almost, and again, it's I'm being subjective, like or you know, speculating rather. Sorry. That season was a bit of a nightmare on the pitch, and it was that year, as I recall, 0203, where the 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 the, the rhetoric kind of changed a little bit in terms of the angle we're coming from and how desperate it was. And the the first proper signs I thought of, like the the club against the council. I know that they'd been a bit previous. I remember at that event at Hendon Town Hall in 2002, people shouting stuff at, again at the Tories, who were, I didn't have a clue what that even meant. I think you know that. Age. <laughs> um, but. Uh, yeah, and it definitely flipped over. And then, you know, through the mid-2000s, around the time we got back in the league and the team were doing better on the pitch, that's when the KBA, which I think initially at the end of the last century after the Coptal thing kind of collapsed, that's when that really kind of rose up again. You know, we had that, I think a lot of people remember the, the title winning season, the walk up the hill uh, after the Farm Brigade. Yeah. That was really well attended. Um, I think we mentioned on one of the early podcasts we did about the local elections of 2006. I mean, like I skipped at least three days of school to uh like put flyers through doors and and whatever else and uh as we've said stay up all night in the durham suite waiting for the results to come in and and not be the way that might have politically suited the club um and i don't think it'll do us any good to kind of speculate as well on on what what was said by one party and what was said by the other i think there's definitely going to be more to the story than has ever come out in the public and i think you know it, it takes two to tango and all that kind of stuff and and I doubt it was just the council being very obstructive, but at the same time, I'm not suggesting for a moment they were easy to work with. Um, but like you said, it kind of got to a point where after I think the South Underhill thing as well, which maybe was a little bit pie in the sky for how developed that idea became, then, then it just became like we were saying we wanted these different things, but nothing was really being done at, 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 while you know this land was acquired in Edgeware and that kind of started going in the background. Yeah, and I think I think um, there's a lot of quotes that have come out from the club, perhaps more recently, around the amount of money that's been spent trying to find a site in Barnet. Because there was all re- all sorts of places that were spoken about. There's a, there's a site just off the A1, I think uh, near Sterling Corner Quinter that was Drive. spoken about. Quince Quinter Drive, all these all these places that have been spoken about as potential sites for a ground within the borough of Barnet, and the amount of money that's been poured into it. Look, I understand why that would be frustrating. I, I get that completely. I, I get why after you know, 10, 15 years of trying to find somewhere viable, if you can't find it and you keep chucking money at it, you'd look at something else. I, I get that. I, can, I completely sympathise with that view. However, the, the way that things have turned out perhaps um, you know, aren't as uh, desirable, I guess, to, to Barnet supporters as they, as they could have been. What, uh, one of the things I'm going to say is one of the things I, I did feel uncomfortable about and probably feel more uncomfortable about on reflection. So... We had Coptal blocked by a Labour government and we had the difficulties with a Tory council uh, when we were talking about the thing. And it, it seemed to me that this wasn't necessarily about the party involved. It was there was there was clearly something there was clearly more to, more at play. And I remember, well, as you said, staying up late in the Durham Street, I, w- I wasn't there, but I'd be, been in and around and probably pretty sure voted in the direction that was required uh, to do and things like that. But I, but I, I remember and I still feel very uncomfortable about how much effort was put in by genuinely, you know, devastated and caring Barnet fans 
uh, into doing whatever they could do for the for what they what was the good of the community and the good of the Barnet community uh, as well. And then somehow their goodwill also getting hijacked into a, what seemed to be a political agenda because there's there you know there was never any guarantee that a change in uh, you know incumbent in, in the council would uh, would would mean a different outcome. So that that whole period of time was certainly an area where I started to feel uncomfortable with. Uh, the messages coming from the I mean the club was was very apolitical I think actually uh, and it and it was and it was separate to that that the thing but I, I just feel and I like exactly what you said Ian there was more behind the scenes and there was more to the story um, than than, uh, than than we'll probably ever know but but it's that point of not feeling comfortable with the story that is probably the piece piece where I start questioning and feeling a uh, little a little less engaged with with the football club probably. Yeah, completely agree with that. Yeah, well, and I, and I think we talked about this obviously on the podcast with um, Dan White in the other week about the the final few seasons at Underhill and well, I mean, the last fifteen years of Barnet Football Club has been pretty dire in terms of the football, and I think those last few seasons at Underhill were, were a tough watch. And like we said, this was kind of going on in the background, but maybe the high profile, you know, televised games where we were red card in council or whatever you want in the early part of the that decade. That had all kind of gone. Maybe the appetite had, had, had sort of meandered off or gone in a different direction a little bit uh, for that kind of pr- protest. Um, you know, the support association started to take a slightly different guys. I think we'll come on to more maybe when we get to the the actual move itself. But I think you know, if you think back to those last few seasons at Underhill, I mean, it's something that I reflect on certainly personally quite a long time. As as you know, we all were like long term season ticket holders or whatever. But I know in the last few years. Um, it did get to a point where I sort of picked and chose what games I went to. I would sometimes get up on a Saturday and just think, nah, I, I don't I don't want to go and watch uh, us lose 3-0 at home to York because, or, you know, for example, because I, you, you kind of knew what was coming and, and the football served up was that poor. And there were kind of divisions within the club in, in, in some way. You know, I know that this podcast, the whole point of it is the nostalgia of how wonderful Underhill was. And obviously there's lots of things that were and, you don't appreciate things when they're there, perhaps, but but there were there were lots of things that weren't so pleasant about going to watch Barnet Football Club at that time. Um, but obviously, you know, you still did go, and it was still there, and that's the thing. It was like it was that comfort. So you could sometimes have a Saturday where maybe you've been out on a Friday night and you think, Do you know, what? I'm just going to sit and watch Jeff Seddon this afternoon. I'll go next week. Then obviously we're into the 2012-13 season, the final season at Underhill, and it's murmur. You know, the murmurs have been there for a long time. The hive has been developed further and further. Um, the team who were meant to play there haven't moved in so it didn't take a genius to work out maybe what was coming but um, it was I think the middle of February of that season so two months eight weeks maybe before the end of the season or the last home game where there was finally the announcement on the website that right this is the final season at Underhill and I remember that kind of being a bit of a wake-up call of like oh blimey you know that it, it's not always going to be there I remember I think we were talking before we came on air buying tickets for the last game at Underhill two months in advance to make sure we got them in our old spot, even though we had season tickets elsewhere to be on the East Terrace or whatever. Um, but even at the time, I don't think there was maybe the realisation of how massive what was about to happen was. If I could yeah. make a point as well, because it's, it's, uh, sorry, Joe, just a quick one um, about that, actually. So, yeah, I think, you know, there's lots of reasons why, you know, dwindling support towards the end. I, I think part of it, you know, it did feel every year, you know, we're, this is the last one, this is the last one. Oh, it's not the last one. There's a bit of that going on. And we started changing managers more frequently. And so it, it became hard to be be part of it. But you mentioned that, um, it, you know, I think Wildstone, as it was, didn't move into the, the hive, as was um, 
reported was the, was going to be the case uh, prior to that. But and you and you said it wouldn't take a genius to see what was coming, and I, I no, I tend to agree. That said, as I recall, the announcement was that this would be the last season at Underhill. We're making a temporary move uh, to the Hive, um, which is the which is a training ground, and, and and the story leading up to that was always that the Hive was just the training ground. There was never any. Um, suggestion that it would ever be an appropriate place for a first team uh, for Barnet um, to play games. Maybe the, the ladies team might play there and it'd be used for other things, but it was never suggested that that would be a place, um, or certainly never formally, and we were told it was temporary at that point. And I think, again, if you, when I try and pinpoint moments where I start feeling uncomfortable and disengaged with what's going on, this is another big moment uh, for me because it's the bit where I felt like we weren't getting the truth actually to be honest I, I completely agree with that Craig and um, I think just go just firstly just to go back to your point Ian around the last few seasons at Underhill I think I don't, I don't want to gloss over it I want to just address it a little bit because it's quite easy for us to look back on this with rose tinted glasses a little bit about you know Underhill was great Underhill was brilliant we love Underhill uh, and we maybe we do feel like that but it's quite easy to forget actually that those last few seasons were shit football wise they really were and there was uh, I've used the word a lot of times and it came up in the last podcast with Dan about uh, apathy and there was there was a lot of apathy around the club at the time it just felt like we were slipping and sliding into a little bit of nothingness in the football league and the football was awful the atmosphere wasn't wasn't great at all certainly not as we remember it from our from our younger days so so it's not accurate not that, we've, not that we've claimed it, but it, it wouldn't be accurate to say that everything was great at Underhill. And then to your, to, to your point, Craig, uh, around the temporary move bit, I think, yeah, you're right. I think we would have moved into the hive around about 08, 09, something like that, in terms of like it, it being developed into the training ground. It was something along that region. And if you remember, we would go down there a little bit to play supporters team matches. And I remember all of us being a little bit like, wow, this is quite a good setup, isn't it? This is great. But no, there was no suggestion at the time um, that it was going to be the first team's ground because there was that empty shell of a stadium that Wildstone had started building that that wasn't a thing, and uh, and we were we were just we were just training there. It was just a base for operations as opposed to the nomadic experience that we perhaps had in the mid two thousands. So I completely agree with you, actually, Craig, and that was one point that I really wanted to make around you know the temporary move piece. Uh, the fact that they said it was going to be 10 years maximum. We're now seven years in. And it's, it's abundantly clear now, in hindsight, that that is not going to be the case. We're not going to be back in Barnet in the next three years. We're not going to be back in, in Barnet in the next five, ten, and so on years. So from that perspective, you know, to you, you, could, call, you could call us naive for thinking that was the case. It might may well be the case that we're naive. But um, you're either in a position where... Uh, that wasn't the intention in the first place, which is a problem because in which case that's that's dishonesty or they've gone back on their word. They've gone back on their word for it to be temporary. So in that position, I find that very difficult to uh, to, 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 to settle with. Do you, do you think that, um, and this is as far as I can tell, that the lack of an active supporters association um, is it? is a contributing factor to the lack of holding the club to account? Or do you think that's irrelevant? 
uh, and this was going to happen either way. I think, I think at the time it's probably applicable because I, I, I'd have to be be completely honest. I don't remember necessarily the chronology of the collapse of the old supporters association. You know, I think we spoke before that we all served on it at different points or in different ways, and uh, you know, did we have much of an impact on it? Probably not individually, no, but. Um, you felt like you're involved with the club in that, um, and, and again, I suppose with something like that, it's, it's people who've got to have the appetite for it, people who've got to be able to commit the, the time to it. But you're right in the sense I think there was probably not not enough accountability face to face with those on the on the front line of the support, if you like, from the club because there wasn't anyone there. You know, someone like Steve Percy who's gone for how many thousand games over, he'd taken a step back. And he's someone, and, and lots of people who you know have, have kind of followed it anyway because Barnet's their club and whatever else. And I totally understand that, um, but yeah, I think I think probably not having that that body to at least question the club w- would have been something that. If you remember, we had we had. I mean, we talked about it before. So you have, I just think it's quite interesting. So you have the supporters' association, which the BFCSA has been there for you know donkey's years, and and we already talked about the fact that it has a much more meaningful role. Um, 30 years ago than it, than it would have even done, you know, 25 years ago, 20 years ago, because of the way money changed football. Fair, fair enough. You then get the introduction of the official Barnet Supporters Association, which, um, you know, to your point, Ian, about we must be united, feels like a pretty divisive action. Uh, although I imagine the club would argue that it felt the Supporters Association was pretty divisive, and that, that was its point. So I, I, I'm not, this is an attack at this point uh, at anyone. This is just a, that's an, that's an interesting move, and it probably take some of the sting or some of the power out of the sports edition. Then you get the KBA, which um, was a fairly united front and lots and lots of time and commitment from lots and lots of people who also actually served in the sports association, but were much more active, it seemed, than the KBA. Then KBA, really at the, the point that the, 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 the Tories got re-elected as in, in, to the Barnet Council, pretty much stops or certainly slows down its, its level of uh, what's going on and then we have the move from a supporters association to a trust which i think was to sort of mirror some of the success that's been had in germany uh, where fans took, took a bit more of a role in the club and maybe some other clubs that that, that have, that's been successful with that around the uk as well and then at the point we leave and to date as far as i can tell there's no one single uh, united association that represents fans at, at barnet and I don't know. I, I, I don't know what the experience is at other clubs, but a lot of these other clubs that have gone through similar things to us have survived because of the, you know, a, a, a united fan base that come under a banner of something. Yeah, I think uh, it's a, I think it's unusual the setup we've got there. Sorry, I'll let you come in a sec, but I think it's unusual. You know, the fact that Barnet don't have a coach to away games. Like I know in the conference there are some smaller clubs, but any of the bigger, which we are in the conference with one of the bigger clubs, no doubt about that. If you look at history. We must be the only one that doesn't take a coach to away games. And it's, I talk to friends of mine who support lower league clubs as well. They can't kind of get their head around that. But it's because there's not the appetite, that apathy from the late Underhill days has followed us around, definitely. Sorry, James, go on. Yeah, and it, it's a, also a case of where do you start start the coach from. Um, I, again, chronology is not um, not the strong point on this particular point, but the support association to the supporters trust, I think, was like you say, Craig, I think a contributory factor in not a breakdown of communication between the supporters and the club, but a little bit of um, 
it was there was there were some incidents, there were some moments that happened that meant that the dialogue between that group and the club became a little bit frayed. And it happened just at the wrong time because it happened just around the time that we were moving to the hive. And, you know, one of the key points as well that I wanted to mention, as well as the temporary move piece, is around the referendum. And um, this is something that I'm sure came up during the 2012-13 season, which, of course, was the last one at Underhill. And to me, is a real issue. It's a real issue, certainly in hindsight, um, in terms of my support for the club now versus what it was then. Um, the fact that, I think, as, as Ian alluded to, if, if uh, I think the quote was, if 2,000 people want to go and 500 people don't want to go, I don't want to, I don't want to move the club. Something very similar was talked about in that, in that 2012-13 season about having a referendum uh, about moving out of the borough. And to me, that is quite a significant thing to, to do. And the fact that that didn't end up happening... I'm not saying it's because it's a support association, supporters trust thing, but it may have been several things. But the fact that that didn't happen is a real problem for me. I don't know about you boys, but that that is a real problem that that didn't happen. That it just it just got to a point where it felt like the club could just do what they wanted without the accountability to supporters. Yeah, I have some sympathy for this point, and that is that I don't know how how you would hold that referendum i think the 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 logistics of it are 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 almost impossible because and i remember being involved in conversations with the chairman about this at the time and and he he talked through some of those difficulties like do you you make it season ticket holders only then what about fans that used to be there and and vote for anymore what about people who buy a membership what about people who just pay on the day and still come to you know 15 games a season what and so then do you make it broader than that do you you know how do you how do you register to be involved and, and do you know what? There's two things I'd say to that as well. I don't think the lack of referendum in itself is the problem. I think it's the fact that it was promised or certainly strongly, uh, whatever the right language is, I, maybe promise is, is too strong a word, but it was certainly indicated that that would be how it was done. And the, sec- the second thing is a question that I'd put at both of you. So I'll ask you first, Ian, and then James, I'll be to your view. If we'd gone through a referendum, and I don't know what the pass mark would have been, you know, 50 plus percent. I don't know. Whatever it was, say that number was reached. Would you now be a, a, a hive? Would you, do you think you'd be going regularly because it had gone through that, um, that governance? Fair question. It's a fair question. I think for me, probably not because I think the, the move to where it was, was probably a root of the issue, but would, it's, it's very hard to say, isn't it? Because it's all hypothetical. Like in theory, I'd feel the justice of it at least a bit more, and that well, you know, other people wanted this. Um, yeah, maybe I don't know. Maybe maybe at first I'd have given it a try at least, and then maybe I would have got hooked. Who knows? Like maybe I'd have moved over to Northwest London. I, I don't know. Like um, you know, I suppose you, it's difficult to answer that question. I think the words that were used there, which is something that sort of always comes back to me with this, is the what feels like the lies and deception that led to the decision being made that, that, that it went from, and we said already the narrative change, but it was all of a sudden like this big hush hush secret that like we said, looked like it was coming, but we hoped wasn't. And there was no actual official confirmation. Then all of a sudden, bang, yes, it is happening. And, you know, we've got Paul Fairclough on late kickoff telling us how wonderful it's going to be. We're, we're, and we, we will get to, because that's an important point, but James, I just interested James. With, yeah, no, I, I, no, I, I, I agree with you, Craig, but I, I think if that referendum had happened, then I think there's every chance that it would have gone through quite easily, whatever the pass mark was. 
unless the pass well unless the pass mark was ninety nine percent. Let's not be stupid. Like bloody GCSEs these days. If it if it was at seven if it was at seventy five twenty five, I think that probably would have gone through and and so be it, right? But it's the fact that it was okay, maybe not promised, but alluded to strongly and didn't happen. And if there is the complications around it, then why talk about it? If it's if it's that if it's going to be that difficult, then don't talk about it in the first place. Because See, then my... you, put yourself, you put yourself in a position where you it's, it's a very fundamental thing to offer supporters the choice and then to not give it to them is, is you know, that's really not a good position to be in. I, I, so I and I'll complete the, the circle. Um, I wouldn't have gone I, I, or at least my position would be no different. But I agree with you, Ian, as well, that um, there would be some solace or, or consolation in the fact that enough people did want to go. And uh, do you know what? Who, what makes me? more important than them. Um, here's another question. So, and, well, and here's another uh, frustration I have. If the thing was, do you want to go to the Hive or stay at Underhill? I don't think it would have passed. I don't think you could put any pass mark on that and it would have passed. And that's, and that's why I don't, actually why I don't think it happened. But No, I, 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 think, I, I think I agree. If, if I could actually answer the question, I think that what ended up happening from my perspective, and we'll talk about that in a little bit, would have probably ended up transpiring anyway. I agree. It, one way or another, it would. And, and so here's the next question. Um, we talk about the referendum. I also think one of the problems with the referendum was the or. What is the or? It, the hive and stay at Underhill without Tony Cleanthus? Because I think, I don't know what club that is either. If you haven't got money behind, I mean, the guy, we know, we know or, or at least I know, I know there's speculation both ways and I know it's not a, a matter of public record, but I certainly believe that he is uh, somewhere between break-even and net down, and sometimes net down quite a lot financially year on year. Um, I, I know we've got other things that are help subsidising now, but certainly from a football playing side, and certainly for the majority of the time he was chairman, and before we had so much exit at the high, which is what, the era we're talking about, I, I don't know what the awe was, and I don't know what the question would have been. That's a fair point. It's a fair point. I think, it, yeah, you, you don't know what it would look like um, if he had pulled out, if, you know... Yeah, I don't know. Would at that time, and it's complete, not even devil's advocate, just a, a thought, like, had we had a bit of a crash and had to rebuild again, but at Underhill, would that have maybe got people back on side a little bit, like you see at certain clubs, you know, like your order shots or whatever, where it, it, it hit the wall and then actually their support was better when they came back than before, uh, but, you know, they were still order shot in order shot. Um Chester, yeah, I, I get, I get, the, I get the sense that we would be more like a Scarborough, who have taken their, yeah. taken very much exactly. taken their time. And there's to there's, get, two, to get there's back. two sides to all of it because I was thinking before. Well, you know, you can compare if you're being drastic, the hive move to your MK Dons, a lesser scale, but a, a favourite of the podcast, Lee RMI, and look what happened to them. You know, they were from Horwich down the road, they moved and it all went wrong. Uh, but then you've got the flip side of that, someone like Bolton or like recently history, right. so kind of generally their move progress them somewhere else so it, it is difficult you can you can draw comparisons i think from 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 anywhere i think there's a there's a, a certain irony that today we're we're talking about uh the, the hive and weather and we're recording this just after barnet have played wilston for the first time in a league game in the best part of 30 years and uh not beating them and currently below them in the table uh which make of that what you will but uh, it, it maybe says something about the progress and if you certainly think where wilston were in 2008 when the first plans and all that were, were there, it's uh, it's quite something, really. So, and, and so, on on the referendum point, to continue it just for just uh, for a moment, 
when we talk about what the options were, one of the things that has always maybe bothered me a little bit is that um, when we talk about moving to the Hive, it's as if the Hive is the is the, is the only place that could have been an option as well. And I, I'm not the expert in what, what the other options were um, as well. But it does seem to me that any referendum was going to be either loaded or or really complicated in terms of options. And if, if I remember rightly, one of the big sales of the Hive in particular was the off-the-field revenue. Um, what I haven't quite worked out yet, and I'm still struggling with and haven't seen any evidence of, is that you need the... or that there's any additional compound benefit of having the first team play there um, in respect of generating more interest in the off the field, uh, you know, re revenue generators, other than perhaps um, if you're at the ground for the football, you, you, you might have the chicken and basket or, or, or whatever the, the, you know, one of those things. Uh, so I don't understand that. Yeah. yeah I mean, I, I don't know part of it was that he was trying to pick up, he thought maybe, you know, new catchment area, new fans. I think looking at it seven, eight years on, that hasn't worked. There's absolutely no doubt about that. Like, uh, you know, recently when they talk about when they're reopening it to the fans and getting people to collect their tickets from the hive, I, the first thought that came to my mind was how massively inconvenient that would be for someone like me who doesn't live in Barnet but doesn't live too far. I live, I live a bus ride from Barnet, which I think probably is like a lot of supporters, a bus ride or a train ride, you know, one 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 direct route. Um, and, you know, what a pain that would be for me to get over there. And I think I, I could be totally wrong. I haven't seen the club's data on this, but I can't imagine the majority of our season ticket holders now are, are people based over there. So I think that was maybe the experiment, that we had the land there, well, that it was in place. I'm also not convinced by it as an argument at the time. It, I, it feels like more of an afterthought. And the reason I say that is that you don't move a club from one place to another in the hope that you can find new people to be in. Well, you might if you're Pete Winkleman, but you don't generally, uh, that's not generally what 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 people do. And it's not, it, it feels more like, a, well, if we're going anyway, we, we might get some more people rather than a, what we should do is move there and see if we can bring what we've already got and get more. That, that doesn't feel in, its, in and of itself a, a good reason. If, if you remember, I think one of the big arguments about Underhill being uh, perhaps past its time was the fact you couldn't get a seven-day revenue out of that football ground, which is true. It's, it's that's that's completely true, and you know there's, there was only so much you could do with a Durham sweep, right? And you have got that seven-day a week income at the Hive clearly because you know the 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 the, the, uh, the evidence is there for all to see. Again, this is a massive hindsight point, and it's definitely not one that you would have thought of at the time. Is okay now you've got that seven-day a week facility to bring income into the club, um, you know outside of it and you've got a great training base no question about that so but but why does the first team need to be there in terms of it's like saturday afternoon why does it need to be there why couldn't it have uh, stayed at underhill but again that's a hugely hypothetical um and hindsight driven point this is my point james i i haven't yet seen so so the argument i suppose would be that if you have a, a rocking hive um with you know the, the thousands of supporters that we want um then that would in some way bring interest to some of the other ventures that are there. That hasn't happened. And, and, and the other thing is, I don't know if you've passed this, the old site of Underhill recently, but um, there's, a, there's a pretty busy uh, AstroTurf facility that's just behind the ground. There's not even a getting Finchley. I think they're, they're I, and I think they train there, but I think I they're doing training there, yeah. I, I, I haven't, I, you know, I don't go past there lots, but I've not been past there. At, you know, at a reasonable hour where it's not been being used. So 
um, could Underhill the site as it was have generated seven day revenue? I, I take, I, I'm happy to accept that that was a challenge. Um, do I think there were things that could have been done and, and have since happened that can? Well, yeah, I, I you know. Yeah, I, 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 I agree that those, um, it's, it's funny how since Barnet Football Club have left that, that land has then been developed when it couldn't have been developed before. Do you know what I mean? That's, that's, that seems to be a bit of uh, coincidental, I guess. Uh, but yeah, it is a little bit frustrating how Wingate and Finchley have managed to get a set up on King George playing fields and Barnet Football Club couldn't. But, it's not, yeah, not anti-football. That, it's not anti-football. It no, might be Barnet Football Club. But, that, uh, but again, to that point as well, you know, there's a rugby club playing at Cotswold and it's been developed since Barnet Football Club left Barnet, uh, Barnet Borough. So there's a lot of stuff going on there and I've you know, we don't know the details or anything like that, but it just feels weird and uh, quite frustrating that those sorts of things have happened. Now, having discussed all the things that we've spoken about, about Barnet Football Club not being able to get a location within the borough. And, and you know, and and I know we'll move on in a second, but to Ian's point earlier, right, we're seven, into, seven years into 10. Um, so the good news is people have managed to crack through with the council in Barnet for sports facilities. So, Presumably, those negotiations are ongoing now, so we can make a swift return. Yes, I believe yeah. that to be the case. Gonna, I, 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 if I, you know, at this point, I'm reasonable enough. I'll even take the 23-24 season, which will be 11, uh, if it takes a little bit more time to build the new ground. That's that, that's absolutely fine <laughs> on, 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 by me. Um, before we get, before we actually make, before we make the move <laughs> to to Harrow and go into that itself. Um, I thought we do need a little bit of positivity and, you know, a nice bit of reflection on what the podcast is about in its own uh, essence anyway, which is, I thought we'd just think about that last game at Underhill. You know, we mentioned that obviously we had the news for about eight or nine weeks to kind of get ready for it. Um, and there was, and there was a lot of prep to that last game. And, and again, it didn't necessarily affect my own supporting habits. I, I definitely missed a couple of the games in the running to that um, through whatever reason. Um, but, you know, I remember when it came to that day, that kind of, it, it felt like something special might happen. It felt like a special day, you know, waking up in the morning and kind of, it was a unique feeling because obviously we were not not unused to being in a relegation battle at that point in the season as a Barnet fan, but it felt obviously a lot more than that. Um, you know, I think for, for us, we were all together with our wider circle of friends that we made at, at the club. Um, and it was just like, you know, it sounds like we're romanticising it for the podcast, but I think the only way you can look at the way that whole day panned out for the club was it was the most romantic ending it could possibly be um, with a little subtext of what happened the week after being like the ultimate barneting of, of all the things. But, you know, the day itself, bla- blazing hot day, full house, uh, still quite a kind of party atmosphere, despite the, the connotations of what could happen on the pitch alongside, you know, the rumblings underneath not even being happy about the move. Um, you know, for me, I just remember the, the the noise of the ground, the kind of the feeling of being on that terrace, uh, and and the kind of togetherness and the you know the celebrations for the goal and the even wilder ones, the penalty. I think I've talked before. I think on the Jake Hyde one about the pitch invasion. I I, I wasn't running around going wild. That that was the moment when I actually stepped onto the grass where I thought, this is it, it's over. And I remember standing sort of hand, you know, like, like head in my hands for a while in a bit of a daze. I think. My dad was on the other side of the ground. He told me to sort of watch me for a minute, like just, just, just wandering aimlessly. And I think it was a bit of an almost—it was a real moment. 
kind of thing. But it was bittersweet. Um, bittersweet for me that day. It was bittersweet, and and the reason I say that is because that season, we if if I get it right, if I remember rightly, we invested pretty much nothing at the beginning of the season and had a manager who it turned out was was well below or a, a manager and playing squad that was well below what was required. We then brought in a bit of a, a show pony manager who um, was a big name but wouldn't travel to away games, uh, which already felt Not like... Not in that season, that was a hive thing. All right, fair enough. I, I, I felt... All right, fair enough. But I felt it all all seemed a bit for the cameras a little bit. And and even that last game of the season, I think late kickoff with there and stuff like that, it all felt, you know, there were people selling back to Barnet t-shirts, if I remember right. And it was all a bit, it was all a bit odd. And I agree with you, there was the, the, the really lovely bit of being with the friends that we've made. So us three and, and, and a much broader group of, of, of people as well. And then there was the, it all felt, I felt, I felt, I felt like I was, being willed on to be be thankful for this last game ra- rather than actually it being something that was oh, it felt more like something was being taken away um, and that's and that I couldn't it's different when you agree with the reasons why it's happening I, I found it hard to um, you know be too thankful uh, for our for our last game um, because I, I didn't believe in in what was going on around it no I, I can sympathize with that completely and um, I think from my perspective, look, I had a great day. I loved, I loved that day, apart from about five o'clock till six o'clock. I, I remember the, the morning we did, we did all the things that we used to do. We went to the Weaver about 11 o'clock and it was, like you say, a blazing hot day. Sat outside the pub, having a few beers, having several beers, sitting outside the pavilion on the grass, um, going into the ground a little bit earlier, I think, just to get a space because obviously it was a sellout. Um, the, the the game panning out the way it did um, was ridiculous. It was just so so barnet for that to happen, and then the full time whistle went. And yeah, great, we've we've won and we've saved the last minute penalty. But I remember Ian. I think I remember. I don't know if we went on the pitch straight away, but I remember you and I certainly. I don't know about. I can't remember if you were around, Craig. I think you, you must have been. But I think we were stood on the terrace for for ages, just on that east terrace, just a little bit empty. Yeah, I, I was a little bit like, oh, that it hit me a little bit. It just hit me at that moment that that was it, and um, it was over. And I think we stood there for, I don't know, fifteen, twenty minutes, just looking, just looking around, not really saying much, which was weird. It was just a, it was a, an empty experience. It was just, just strange. And uh, you just sort of looked around at the old terrace, the the bit where you stood when you first went there, and you just. I had flashbacks of all these moments that you had there, and uh, yeah, I just remember feeling very empty for that for that few hours for that for that hour or so. And then I think there was a party in the pavilion afterwards that uh, that, that cheered things up a little bit. But um, uh, again, uh, to, to, to coin a phrase, that smacked of Barnet. That was a very Barnet esque party. That was very like Durham Street two thousand and four style <laughs> with like very bad disco lighting and terrible yes. music. Yes, right. we, we went to the cup. pub. Then we go to the pub and then go back there. So we were pretty shit-faced by the time it actually happened. Yeah, yeah. The, the, the pavilion was our nightclub that evening. We, I think we went to the Weave around the Queens and then back into the, to the pub afterwards. Do, um, do you know what? It, it wasn't... Um, I mean, that feeling of empty you both described, I don't... like. I may have felt like that. I don't really remember. My, my moment of that 
was more when the bulldozers turned up. That was, uh, was a, yeah. that was, it took me that long. It was, because I, you know, I, and seeing the grass overgrown, that was really, really difficult. Um, but when the That's bulldozers... came real. It did, and, and it did. And that was the moment of, that when it really went, that's really when it really felt like there's no way to go back now. And there isn't, they will yeah. never go back. Yeah, well, I, yeah and, and people, were, people had... were posting photos on social media, and I just, it was, I didn't want to look. It, it was just, I just, I don't, I just, I, I remember people posting it. I understand why people were posting the, the pictures of the terraces being pulled down and the seats being pulled out of the main stand and all the rest of it, but I just didn't want to look at it. I didn't want to look at it. It was, it was, um, it was rubbish. Really was. That was horrible. I mean, for me, I feel like, yeah, it was a really drawn out process as well that, cause I, uh, with my job, I, I took a, a group of school kids. I managed to negotiate with the, with the club that, um, about three months after we left Underhill, the end of that season, July uh, of that same year, managed to arrange with the club. Uh, my the class were doing a, a project on the local history of Barnet, and I was like, "Come on, like you know." And uh, and, they, and they, they set it up for me. It took a bit of negotiating, but we got there in the end. Um, and Gratz uh, very kindly agreed to come down as well. Gave a talk to the kids. It was brilliant. Like you know, we did a Q and A in the Durham suite, and like walked around the stadium, went on the pitch and everything. But like Craig said there, it was being there that day, obviously, and in a, in a professional context, I suppose, but the grass was clearly, you know, not ready for the start of the new season. Um, and it was already looking like a shell of the old. Uh, yeah. And, and yeah, that was tough to accept. But I know, oh. you know, when the Bulldogs went in, that was 2018. Um, and I remember twice around that time, I, I was on a, I had to go to Potter's Bar for a work thing uh, and drive through Barnet. And both times coming back, I stopped, got out of the car, Unfortunately, I did take some of those kind of uh, quite dark pictures myself as well. I, I don't know, almost to kind of make sense of it all, but, but there was certainly, yeah, a really horrible feeling around that. And that was at a time where I felt like I hadn't been for a while and like I'd maybe detached myself enough that it, it was kind of in the past. But actually, yeah, it was tough to see. And it's even tougher now, I think, you know, the first time I went back recently uh, during lockdown when I was out running or cycling or whatever, like we were all doing at that time, Um Going past the ground and seeing it in its new school setup was was yeah yeah tough. I, 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 yeah like you say Ian I think every time I drive past the ground now and it's a rare occasion because I don't really go to Barnet anymore I've not really got any reason to go to the town of Barnet anymore every time I go past the ground I just look over and expect to see something that's not there that might sound a bit stupid but it just I just look over and shake my head a little bit I still look to the right hand side when I'm driving down Barnet Lane. Um, and expect to see the south stand as it was then. I still look right and see the gap in the houses where the northwest terrace, north terrace turnstiles were. And any time I'm coming from the different direction, I come over Barnet Hill, come over the crest of the hill. I still expect to look over and see the floodlights on. Yeah. And it's just not there anymore. And it just, I don't know, it doesn't make me feel ill or anything. It just makes me feel a little bit sad, if anything. It just, just makes me feel a little bit like a uh, nostalgic and, uh, wishing for times that are not there anymore to add one of those moments the uh the tube coming into high barnet when you see the ground from everything especially on a, a tuesday night under the lights and um, here's a question for you both and then i'll answer it after actually because i like the sound of my own voice um <laughs> do you like i, I with this conversation this bit of the conversation I, everything else i was all right i'm starting to get angry now um but the um because it just makes me sad and I don't know how to handle those emotions. But um, 
Do you think any of your feelings towards... Let me rephrase that. Do you think your sadness, anger, whatever about the, the demise of Underhill have a bearing on your feeling towards the hive? Probably. That's probably fair. Um, yeah, I think because it, it, the move came as a bit of a bolt from the blue in the sense of the notice that was given that maybe uh, heightened the anger. I mean, I know for me as well, I'd kind of been a bit in denial about it, put the tickets to the Wickham game, whatever, and we're thinking back to the time when it was all happening. Um, you know, after Wickham, like with all three of us and lots of other people straight down at the club to buy the away tickets for Northampton for the final day or whatever. And um, I'm going to that game. That was only my second away game that season, whereas the previous 10 seasons before that, I played at least 20 away games, if not more. Um, and even then, I remember going into that game with a bit of a kind of, yeah, whatever attitude, like, doesn't matter if we go down. Like, um, and, and at that point, I think I was still fairly committed to the idea I wasn't going to the Hive. And then I think going, what really hit home for me, how, how big it was, was at full time that day, uh, I'm not ashamed to admit, I, I was in pieces, uh, like floods of tears, but not about the relegation because you support Barnet. That's going to happen. Like we, we've, we've seen it before, seen them come back. It was when the whistle went to Northampton, more so than the Wickham game the week before. That was when it was like a real, like, oh my goodness, this is it. Like it's, it's done uh, for me that day. And, and, you know, with the emotion, perhaps the relegation with it too, it was that feeling of like, this is absolutely, it's all over. It's, it's all over. Like everything I've kind of invested a bit too much of a chunk of my life in the last 10, 15 years is gone, taken away. Um, I can't yeah. remember the original point now, Craig. I'm, I'm too in I No, I think I agree with Ian. I, I think I got my anger out that day at Northampton. I remember, I remember distinctly sitting on the train on the way back, ranting, Actually, no, walking, walking out the ground, I was ranting. Walking out the ground, I was ranting. We got back to the train station, I was ranting, just just, just out of anger at what had gone on. And, uh, I mean, I was so angry, I closed the website. I mean, that speaks volumes for someone like me. Um, <laughs> but, but it's, uh, <laughs> um, yeah, I think I think I got that out of, the, out, out of my system then. Um, and, yeah, I think you're right. It, it, maybe maybe the, 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 the way that we left Underhill and the notice period, like Ian alluded to, um, perhaps does add certainly now to my uh, to my uh, attitude on the hive. I think, and and all the things we've spoken about before, the referendum, the temporary move element to it, all these things add up. And there are other things um, that do add up to it, which we'll talk about, I'm sure, in due course. See, I, see, I, I don't feel the same as either of you in that respect. I I um I don't think my feelings was Underhill have any bearing on the likelihood of me ever having gone to the hive <clears throat> or my feelings towards the hive. I, I, I mean, I, I, yes, that you, you would always compare them. That's inevitable. That's what, nothing else to benchmark against, but I feel very, very sad and angry about Underhill and how that was dealt with and, and what it is now and, and all that kind of stuff. I find that, but my issues with the, or the reasons I don't go to the, the hive, I, I honestly think are completely separate and independent and, and, and that's why I asked a question about the referendum earlier, because I also feel that I don't, I mean, I don't feel like I was let down by not having a referendum. I, I, we were, we, you know, we definitely were, but that isn't my problem. That isn't the problem with it. Um, and, and, and do I feel gutted that, you know, 
like my dad was able to take me to Barnet, I won't be able to ever do that if I have kids. Uh, likewise, you, you, you guys as well, and Ian with, with your daughter now, that's something you won't be able to do. Um, which is, I find that a really, uh, that, that's, I find that devastating. But it doesn't, it's not why I struggle with the hive. My, my issues with the, the hive are, are separate to that. And I guess we're sort of coming to that point about that now. Why, why um, you know, there's, there's all the build-up. I think we've sort of covered that. But then there's the moment itself. Um, and I'm sure we'll talk about how we all got to that bit on day one of the hive. But um, I, I, I don't, I don't think that Edgware is a place I identify with as supporting the football club. Um, it's, it's not for me. That isn't um, the identity of Barnet Football Club. Yeah, and I think, and the, yeah, that's the. It's important, I think, supporting a team like. Barnet, a small club that that you have that identity, and, and you know the three of us, none of us have ever lived in High Barnet, like. Uh, but you know, I think if we think about when we got into it, we're thinking Thomas Bar, Finchley, Muswell Hill slash Bounds Green, like all surrounding areas, and like I said earlier, like you know, one bus when you're youngster, whatever, away from there, and still something that's that's doable, and, and you know, sort of bringing it back to the present day and jumping around a bit, you know, what you said there, like it has crossed my mind since having a child this year that, you know, I'd love to have had the opportunity to where I live from Underhill now still, I could get one bus, get there, you know, leave the house at two o'clock, be at the ground, plenty of time for kickoff and be back home by six, all, you know, done easy. Um, but that's just not doable with, with, with where they've, where they've gone. And, um, you know, location, obviously that's, that's personal to us, but Dan mentioned in the previous episode as well about the Hertfordshire following, which is huge. You know, James is Potter's bar, but, Hatfield, well, in those places as well. There's a big pool there. That's that can't have been really even considered when when the move was was happening. And I mean, I don't know because I think we <laughs> can't labour too many points too long because no one will keep listening if we keep going for as long as we have. But um, you know, the club effectively, if we want to summarise, we kind of slept walked to Harrow, in my opinion, at that point because there was the apathy or whatever. I think people like us have maybe lost the will for any sort of fight to it, and a lot of other people did kind of blindly follow, which. You know, I said before, I, I don't disagree with that in principle. I do, I do accept them. We kind of coming on to the, the move to the hive in that time in 2013. I was certainly more vocal than maybe some others about my displeasure at it on social media and whatever else. And would I have done things differently? Probably yes. Um, and because actually, you know, if someone wants to go there, that's that's their choice. And I, you know, I remember having disagreements and arguments with one or two individuals who I've always got on with quite well. And, and actually, now I think, well, what, that was silly to to allow that to kind of be something so fractious. But but at the same time, that was that was emotions were running high there at the time. I mean, when we get when we think about the move uh, you know individually with the people here, Craig, you and I held off the first season altogether. Um, you know, I went to one away match at the start of the season at Braintree. Uh, I had a weird feeling about being there, which I know is strange. I saw lots of friends out there, I enjoyed seeing people, but I, it felt different already for me on the back of what's happened already. James, obviously you uh, did go, and I probably probably should have done off air before, but as I recall, at one point mid that season, we had a big row where I just kept digging at you for, for going to the hive and then eventually you, you snapped, which uh, <laughs> I, can't, I can't remember what that was. But again, it's maybe of its time and, and where we were in our own lives at that point. But um, I think you say like Craig and I's point was quite consistent. We didn't go initially. James, as someone who went to start with and is maybe more in the same bracket as we are now, talk for your experience of that. Yeah, um, I, I think by the time we moved, 
all the, all the emotions were there at the start anyway. But uh, by the time we moved, I think I would describe myself as fairly lukewarm. I think I think to start with, when things were being spoken about in the years before, I think I was quite pro. But as we got closer and closer to it, that that um, that feeling waned a little bit and i think i was a little bit lukewarm to start with but i didn't want to write it off straight away i wanted to i wanted to at least give it a go and see what happens i remember um and this was probably one of the things that we uh had a had a uh, robust conversation about ian going to a um that the, the first sort of half significant game of football that was played there was a, effectively a training match between barnet v barnet i think there's about 300 people there and i remember going and thinking it would be a little bit more significant because it was the first game of football being played in the ground and all the rest of it. Um, but I didn't want to write it off straight away. Uh, so I went to, I think, the first three home games of that season. We played um, Chester, uh, Nuneaton and uh, Hyde. And it was that last game where, the, the, the Hyde game, where I just, I think I threw my toys out the pram a little bit. And... And I wasn't enjoying the first experience of the Hive as it was then, because if you remember that, that, that ground was being built in March, April, May, June. So it was, was barely finished. So the experience of it wasn't great. Getting there wasn't great. That became abundantly clear straight away. And I think the catalyst really was the football. So that game, we were, we were playing Hyde, who were one of the worst teams I've ever seen us play. And we managed to conspire to throw away a two-goal lead and draw 2-2. Two, two. We obviously ended up winning 3-2. Um, but I walked out of that game when they equalised. And that was it. That was it. I didn't go again uh, until very late again that season. And um, I just, yeah, I threw my toys out the pram a little bit. I thought, um, yeah, I'm not I'm not up for this. I'm not up for this. And Dan Whiting made a really good point in the, in the last um, podcast about it didn't feel like home and straight away to me, it didn't feel like home because he said, and the phrase was really good. Barnet was my town. Barnet was my club and going over to Cannons Park tube, wherever it was, however I got there, didn't feel right. There was nothing in the area. Uh, the ground wasn't fully developed and it just felt a little bit alien. And I've never, ever got that sense of home when going there, I never got the sense of going over the hill and seeing the floodlights coming down from Potter's Bar. I never got the sense of going to a local pub before the game and seeing my mates and everything else, because that's just not there. And that became clear to me quite early on in my time going there. And that was something that um, really put me off straight away. And, um, you know, you call me fickle, call me whatever, but that was just my experience. And it's just, it's taken, I think people, a differing amount of time to get to that point and um yeah it's, it's difficult it's, it's it's annoying it's frustrating but that's basically where i where i um where i landed so jay's i actually have um i don't think that's fickle at all and I, I actually have quite a lot of admiration for you for the fact that you kept going um and gave it a, and honestly gave it a real go and, it, and, and well and it must have been difficult when you know your your close friends uh, the people that would ordinarily have been with you and probably part of the experience weren't there as well. So I, I think that's part of it. Uh, Ian, I wanted to ask you a question. Um, it's a question that applies to me as well. Um, but why didn't you go? Um, that is a really good question because I, because I wasn't even up for giving it a chance, which, like you say, and again, 
hindsight is a wonderful thing. Maybe James did the right thing that, you know, we're all Barnet fans, maybe, you know, to, to try it before judging. I just think I was so bitter about the last few years at Underhill were tough uh, supporting the club. And, and there's certain things almost that with my, myself almost had like personal issues with a few people around the club and then things that were had gone on and whatever else. So it probably wasn't a huge hardship to take a step back and go less. Um, but I think I was just adamant that it's not it's not in Barnet. It's a pain for me to get to. At the time, I was living in Finchley, not even that relatively far. Um, you know, I speak to people who are detached from Barnet or live outside of London. They can't fathom why it's, it's such a hardship to make that short journey. But it is, it's an inconvenience. It's difficult. It's out of the way. Um, and I think in my mind at that time, I was very... Uh, centred on the whole justice issue of the lack of a referendum or, you know, you know, maybe that lies had been told to get us there and and certain individuals in my mind at that point had, had, had sold a, a massive dream but sold triplets of it and, and not been clear. Um, so to, to reverse your own question on yourself, Craig, what was, what was your reason for not going initially? It, for me, it was, it was pretty simple. Um, we've already described... On, on this, um, all the steps that felt like of the, the disengagement, if you like, all the steps that led to feeling quite disengaged with the club. And um, a lot of them lead to the hive, but there were a lot of other, you know, a lot of that build-up is pretty unsavoury, <laughs> leaves me feeling pretty uncomfortable uh, and not very connected, not, not unified and, and, and part of something very on the outside. But for me, it was really, really clear. We're not going to get a vote. Um, I'm not even sure how you do a vote. I'm not even sure what the options are. I've said that clearly here. I felt I only had... I don't, we didn't have a voice. There was no support association. There was no KBA. There was no whatever. There's, there's no voice. There's no vote. So what have you got? You've got your custom, your feet, and you vote with your feet in a situation like that. And for me, that was it was literally that simple. I do not believe in this. I do not agree with it. And the only voice I have is to not go. And if I'm wrong, then then I lose and that's fine. And the people that I'm not stopping anyone. I'm not being, if you remember in that time, you were quite vocal about it for your reasons. James, you were quite, uh, you, you uh, gave it a go. And I was relatively silent on it. Give or take. I probably said things, you know, there, here, but I wasn't, I didn't take to social media or whatever. I felt I had one, one way of making my view heard. Uh, and I, and I decided that that was to not go and not pay to go. Um, and then if and then if it's still a success, then I was wrong. Yeah, I think, but but obviously, just thinking of what happened next personally as well for both of us. Um, where James tried it straight away, uh, there was obviously some sort of subconscious pull because we're Barnet supporters that we wanted to, to come back to. You know, the first season at the Hive was massively underwhelming. That we finished mid-table. David's left. There was a whole thing, which again, and, and that that season actually added for me a bit of fuel to my own fire that you had the manager wasn't travelling to away games. I know it's taking David. I know he's doing it for free. I don't care. It's Barnet. They're my team. The manager should be going. Self respect. Yeah, yeah. That that that's how it felt, and it and it really it angered me. Like because I remember even at the start of that season, BT Sport obviously showed the National League conference games, and we watched a couple of them. And even then, I'll be honest, I found myself willing. Barnet to lose because I thought that ah, show you know that'll show them like for, for going and I don't know maybe that's just me I, I feel like maybe others may have felt a similar emotion in that time I don't know you already mentioned it and this was again part of the thing that made me feel so 
um, I was going to swear, so angry with it. Um, Paul Fairclough, a, a man who should be a club legend for what he did as manager of Barnet Football Club. And, and I don't mean just in the good times, I mean in some of the harder times where he did step in and did put the club first and whatever else. When you've got Paul Fairclough, who is a relative newcomer to the club still, but a club legend at that point, walking around a building site saying that we, we can't possibly play at Underhill because of the slope and these are problems and, you know, that we mustn't be there, we, we must be here and, and, and things like that. I, that really, really annoyed me. Well, the angle of the whole new dawn, but in the way it was, that it's, you know, I, I still, I, I don't like the Hive London. It wasn't Underhill London, was it? So it was Underhill Hearts, anyway. The Hive London. We're Barnet. Like, we don't need a gimmick of we're this London force. No, we're not. We're not. We're one of the smallest clubs in London. Whatever happens, we'll be one of the smallest clubs in London. So the Hive London, the, the ladies' team changed their name to London Bees. I think that happened at the same time as the move. And because then that, that was, uh, you know, my I was totally focused that that's the club. We're going to be London Bees in X amount of years. It hasn't happened. I hope it never does happen for the sake of those that go still, because I think that would just be the final straw for too many people. Maybe it would have an impact that might be beneficial. I don't know. But I don't, I don't want that to happen for the sake of the proper Barnet fans who stuck it out. But yeah, it, it was, it, and it was very much sort of, and of course, a new move is going to be rammed down your throat because it's going to be marketed as a good thing. Um, but even ever since then, there's no acknowledgement of what used to go on before. And I think I may have touched on this in the last episode with Dan, that the club don't post anything about Underhill or anything on their social media platforms or things like that, which I just, I don't know why it had to be such a, a disconnect because, you know, other clubs like, uh, you know, Arsenal will still put things about Highbury. Spurs will definitely put things about the Hart Lane and, and whatever else, and, and things that went on in history before that. Barnet's history at the Hive has been pretty shoddy bar one season, so why not hark back to those good times as well? Um, it's it's frustrating the way that it's continually gone in that sort of pro edgeware propaganda since. But I, I know where I'm going. I'm kind of I'm, I'm ranting. I'm going off on a on a tangent there to save you from you know upsetting yourself um i uh i one of the when i look at the whole thing um and try and work out why for some people it's okay and they can support it and some people can't and what where what it really comes down to the thing that i always come back to the bit that always seems to be the root of it is identity it's how do you identify with, with with the football club um so it is a personal thing i don't think i think everyone can have different views and they all identify in a different way and i honestly if you'd asked me 15 years ago what was more important about barnet football club the location or the name i probably would have said the name i would have said change the name and it's not barnet football club anymore and i think in hindsight identity is made up of lots of different things but i do think it being my local club, it being in a place that is local to me, it being the nearest professional football club to me was an important part of that identity. And it's why I think personally, I could have gone with Coptal. I would have loved South Underhill and I can't go with the Hive because for me, that, that it being part of that is, is a really poor, important part of it. And well, and also I'll ask both of you, what colour did Barnet play in? Amber. Black and Amber. What colour did Barnet actually play in? Black and orange. Orange. And, and, and do you know what? If you're talking about identity and you talk about what people can co- connect to as fans, those things are really important. And I think that, that it's not a 
we've moved into a new catchment area and all and there's loads and, and there's and it's a nicer ground in terms of it's, you can the toilets flush and you know you, you can get more than just cold water from the taps and and you know all these things and you can get a, a beer under the ground at half time and they've got sky sports and all the, it's great that's 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 lovely well done but when it comes down to it what separates football clubs from other businesses it's the fact that it engages people and it captures people and they feel like an identity it identifies them how many people do you know who regularly go to football and if you if you met them in the street as a stranger and ask them to tell me one thing about you the first thing they'd say is their football club that's how they'll identify themselves and the minute you disconnect those things that help someone identify with something they're gone and they and they don't come back and there isn't enough it's too bland at that place now to attract new people there is nothing to cling on to there's no history there's no they don't, they don't wear the colors the names of the club and the ground change they're all different there's no there's no connect um the manager changes every 15 minutes and if you take all these things and try and attract new people to something that has no culture no identity nothing to connect to and change it so much that the old people who used to go can no longer connect to it it's not going to work and it hasn't worked yeah as, as well as the fact that you have to pay 25 quid or the best part of 25 quid to get a ticket on the day and you can't do it on the turnstile. You've got a queue at a ticket office before you miss kickoff. All of these little things that uh, add up to quite big things in the end. And uh, yeah, well, I, I, I don't disagree with what you're saying, Craig. If, if, if the ticket worked for £25, if you didn't have to queue in the rain for the ticket office, if when you got there and scanned it, you didn't then have to talk to someone about why the fact the thing doesn't actually scan or any of these number of small things have been too clever for what is actually a very basic function. Um, if we, if, if, if those things worked 25 quid is, uh, you know, it's way, I mean, it's way too much, but we'd pay it or someone would pay it. If you felt connected to it, you'd pay it. That's why people buy football shirts for, you know, 95% more than they cost to make. That's why people go home and away with these, with these things. The minute you take away the bit that you, you know, and, and you're right though, it's just the, it's the niggly, Little things that, in the end, make you go, oh, "I'll just stay home." <laughs> Completely, I'll just stay home. Well, I think something as well you mentioned about staying at home. Uh, you know, talk about James's experience of the hive, and, and and then his own opinion being formed, and maybe we're reluctant to that. But Craig, you and I both have uh, been down there. We spoke on Dan's one that we were there when they won the league against Gateshead. Call us glory hunters. Call us philistines. Okay. Call us whatever you will. We, we were there that day, and it was it was quite good fun. Um, but we're, you know, we'd been there in the lead up to it, Craig. Obviously, I think you went back slightly before me. Um, I don't know if you want to talk through your your experience of that and, and where that's put you now. All right, okay. Um, I think it was the first time I went. I went with James for a pre-season friendly. So it was. It, so it was the not the year, the year we didn't go, and then it was that summer, the the, the one after, and. Um, there was no one there other than like Barnet, like the people you could recognise type Barnet fans. Um, it's not to say the other ones didn't count, but you you recognised more than you didn't of people. And James and I sat in that bar that um, was Grazioli's bar, and then apparently we couldn't call it that anymore, so it was Legends. But I mean, God, that, that you know, 
with, with, if I remember rightly, pictures of players where they'd superimposed the wrong kit on the player. So I, I seem to recall in that Legends bar or somewhere like that, there was, a, I think it was Legends bar, there was a picture of yes, Dougie Free. Yes, you're absolutely wearing, right, yeah. Wearing a kit that never players, The players matched the wrong kits, yeah. Or there, there might not be anyone in mean, for a long time, but yeah. So they, so they superimposed the wrong kit on it for, for reasons I'm still not sure of. Probably because it was too amber, I don't know. But, 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 you know, so I sat in that bar with James. We watched a bit of football and we had a beer and Andrew Aidy um, came and sat down with us for about 10 minutes. And he talked at quite great length about John Steele and what it was like when John Steele was managed the first time. And you know what? I loved it. I felt, this felt, it felt like Barnet again because we were starting to, it, the, the story came together again. It was, it was all connected. I think Andrew Aidy, I, I, I've heard mixed reviews and I loved the guy. I think he was such a Barnet guy, you know, such a really honourable Barnet guy. And he, um, he stopped and, and chatted to us and it, we felt, I felt part of it. I felt like a, an ambassador of the club was stopping and having a personal conversation and giving you a little bit of the behind the scenes, but not enough that, you know, that it's, a, you know, that it's inappropriate or unprofessional. And I remember thinking, I, I wonder if I could get into this. Like, I think I could get into this. And then we went, we went to, I think the first game of the season or an early game in that season. And then it was all back to bland and plastic and nothing felt connected to the Barnet that I felt connected to. And I didn't feel like I wasn't a Barnet fan anymore. I felt like Barnet didn't exist anymore. That's how I felt. I mean, it's interesting you say the, 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 the follow-on from that, because I think my, my return to the Hive was a little different to a lot of other people's. Um, so in that, that pre-season, so just to give context and sort of chronology, it was when Martin Allen came back for his fourth or fifth? His 16th, I think it was. Fourth, fourth, fourth spell. His fourth spell uh, at the club where he came in after David and a bit of a break in between with the Dutch guys uh, in charge. Um, and he ran a competition or whatever, you know, very Martin Allen over the summer where it was you submit your question to him. And the best question would be to see the winner of the best question was to be able to sit in the dugout for the final preseason friendly against Wickham, I believe it was, to be very planted that year. Um, and I thought for a laugh, as someone who'd been quite vocal about not going to the hive, oh yeah, I'll put something in. Um, so I sent Mad Dog a question, just saying something like about how, how you know, as a fan of Barnet and yours previously or whatever else, how are you gonna get the buzz back? Because and I explained the context of not going anymore, I hadn't been to Zunderhill, blah blah. I suppose it shouldn't have been to my surprise. It was when I read it on the website. There was a response saying, uh, hi Ian, you know, um, thank you for your question. Uh, it's really sad what you say about not coming anymore. Please contact uh, Tom, lovely bloke, who was the media guy at the time, uh, about, uh, about about this, because what I'd like to do is invite you down to my office for a cup of tea and a chat about how you feel. And, you know, the, the, there's the initial, like, wow, that's, that's, uh, this could be interesting. Like, All right, let's front it up. Let's do it. Uh, thankfully, we were for a few weeks in the summer, so I, I had the flexibility to go whenever he wanted. Contacted, uh, said Tom at the club, and... Uh, arranged the time to go down. It was on a Thursday, I believe, right at the beginning of that 14-15 season, which obviously was a successful year for Barnet. Um, and I turned up there, a little bit nervous, certainly, like knowing what Martin Allen's like from a distance, definitely. Um, I came into his office and, and his, his reaction, he sat there at his desk, he went, who are you then? And uh, I explained, explained who I was. Um, and he had a few questions on that, where he was, he was a little bit aggressive, but I, I kind of, 
I suppose he put it later on, fronted it up a little bit. I just kind of answered his questions as he wanted. Um, and then this surreal situation where I'm in Martin Allen's office with uh, the media guy for a bit. And then he kind of brought in people one by one. So um, Charlie McDonald, who'd signed, who played for Charlton previously, was at a decent level. He came in as the captain, I think, of that season. And we had a chat about where, who I was and why I was there and whatever. And he he said at the time, you know, I feel like there's something really special building with this this group of lads and it's, you know, something, something big is going to happen. Um, others came in as well. I like, can't remember, John Nurse, who again, absolute gentleman to be fair, like, uh, you know, lot, lot of, everyone there was very courteous. They really kind of gave me the time of day. Um, and my own certainly edged back a little bit. I was probably in the office with them for about 45 minutes. I actually never got a cup of tea, which was a shame. I was quite parched, but I never, never, never got a drink. Um, but we chatted away and then, and then Martin Allen said, well, look, would you like to come out on the, on the training ground uh, and, and see what's going on? Which, I mean, yeah, I'm sure any fan would. And uh, interestingly, and I've listened to other podcasts about uh, people's relationship with him. So Kevin Blackwell, who apparently is not the most popular man in football, but he was doing a session at Barnet that day as a friend of Martin Allen's basically doing him a favour. So he was taking the training. Martin Allen was kind of there surveying it all. Um, yeah, so he said, you know, come, come out on the tra- training pitch and watch the session. Yeah, great. And I'm, I'm at the door. My hand's about to go on the door handle to, to lead us both out. And he's gone, uh, oh, hang on. See that jacket there on the back of the door? Yeah. Well, one, one of the players left that in there last week and uh, none of them have come back to claim it. They're too embarrassed. I, I don't know. What I want is for you to put that jacket on and see if any of them say something. And I'm thinking like, oh, come on. Like, I, I, you know, for starters, joy, being there as like the one guest of Barnet training, I, I'm in my like mid-20s at the time. I'm not a child. Like, it's a bit embarrassing in some sense. It's interesting, but it's a bit embarrassing. So I was like, yeah, yeah, no, it'd be a great laugh. It'd be a great laugh. He's got that, you know, the Martin Allen stare right in my face. You're not going to not I, do it. <laughs> I can't say no, can I? So I have this jacket on. And uh, walk down to the training pitches. It's funny little like nuances you remember. At the hive, when you go down from behind what's now the the away end of there's like a bit <laughs> I slipped and I like, almost completely lost my footing next to him as we went down. I think I hurt my knee, which is a bit dodgy over time anyway. So I'm sort of limping over to the, the training pitch, wearing this jacket. Um and so to be honest, my main worry is that I'm gonna get started on by one of the players, but um so it's early in the season. It's like August. Barnet had a good start to that year. I think they won throughout the first four. Uh, and he, he's walked me out onto the pitch with all of the players. I mean, like everyone who's got a professional contract at Barnet must be there. 25 of them, maybe. Uh, and they're all standing in front of me. We're in the centre circle of this training pitch. And um, like I said, the conversation in his office has gone really positively. He said that, you know, he kind of, he respected my views and we talked and whatever. But so we get we get in the middle of this, and he's, he's introduced me to all the boys, and he said, you know, this is a he's a big big Barnet fan. He's like, how long you had a season ticket for? Oh, Twelve years, whatever it was. Um, and he's, he's lost the love of his life. He's lost the love of his life. But he's here today, and he's getting a little sniff, and he's he's doing <laughs> all this. Um, <laughs> and the player, some of them are laughing, and it's all a bit awkward. Um, and, and then he goes, uh, right, so boys, have you got any questions for him? What? And. Uh, Graham Stack's coming first, gone like, so if we was top of the league, would you be down here every week? And, and again, I've said, so, so, no, no, you know, it's, it's, it's not about that. It's, you know, if we're doing well, great, but I, you know, it's more about where we are and whatever else. Um, someone else asked something, I can't remember who it was. And Lee Cullen said, uh, but you know, so 
where, where do you live? Why is it such a pain to get to? And I said, oh, it's, it's Finchy. And he's laughing. I think he's only up the road or whatever. Um, I mean, we've discussed transport options or whatever. <laughs> and then as it's gone quiet with the players and they're still giggling a bit, Martin Allen's gone, yeah, where do you live? Where do you live? And I've, I've just said to him, Finchy, no, no, where? And uh, he got his phone out. And uh, he's pretended to record and he's gone, uh, so, where, you know, what, tell, no, tell me your address. So he's made me say the flat I lived in. Hang the time on, in front that of was Lille. my flat. <laughs> your flat as well. <laughs> I thought at least I'm not going down on my own at that time. Um, and uh, and he said, right, now, now I've got your address. You're going to come down here. You're going to watch them. Because if you don't come, we've got your address. And we're going to, and all that. And I so said, the players are laughing their heads off, whatever. Um, and then he was like, right, Stacky, go and take them off for a jog, whatever. And then to be fair to me, he came up to me, put his arm around me and he went, you handled yourself brilliantly there. Well done. <laughs> um, and then and then we sat, because Kevin Black was taking possession, me and him sat on the side of the pitch in like one of those little movable dugouts, watching the training session. And he's asking me who I thought was good. So I'll say for the record of Barnet fans who've gone since the hype, because I know he wasn't the most popular player. Sam Muggleton was the best player in training by an absolute mile what I watched. He was class. Um, I know he didn't always transfer on the pitch, but he looked great that day at training. And the way that was left was, uh, he said, look, I hope you've enjoyed today today. I, I'm not going to say you have to come back. I know what I said, but I'd like to invite you and, and your missus to come down for a game. You can be my guest for the next match. You ask any, you know, anyone in that situation, no matter what your principles, what you said before, I wasn't going to say no to that. Um, and so, yeah, yeah, my wife and my girlfriend at the time, yeah, great. We'll, we'll, we'll come down. Um, and it was Alfton at home early in that 14, 15 season. Um, and the experience was incredible. We got down there. He's met us. We've gone in his office before the match. It was an international weekend. So he was being interviewed by the Daily Mail. They were doing a feature on Barnet where they've got to fill some of the pages. And uh, we both made the Daily Mail in this interview because they were saying, you know, there's this young couple sat on the sofa in his office uh, and explained the whole context of it. And again, he was great. And uh, we posed for a picture, which I believe appeared in the programme of the next home game of him and me holding a Barnet flag, shaking his hand. Um, and while, while we're posing for the picture of the Daily Mail photographer, he's just literally was just saying the words more than one. Shake my hand going, welcome, welcome. <laughs> <laughs> um, which is just great. And uh, we sat in the stand on the on the player side, as you like, at the hive or whatever it is. Um, sat behind Keanu Marsh-Brown, who was annoyed that he wasn't in the team. He was saying some things that maybe he didn't want fans to hear, but was anyway, and then Barnett went in the last minute. Luis must scored a great free kick, and in that moment when that goal went in, yes, like it, it flooded back for a moment. It flooded back, and it felt, yeah, like this is what I've missed. This is my club. This is all, all those things. On a real high afterwards, we had a couple of pints in the bar. Took the pints into Martin Allen's office and had a drink with him. Came back out, and um, Andy Yeardom, who separate to this story, I'm aware I've gone on for a long time. I'd met at a wedding a few weeks earlier randomly uh recognized me from that and bought me and my wife a drink and that as well there and uh and it was this great day came away from it that day absolutely buzzing and then i went to the next six seven consecutive home games um you know honestly now it doesn't matter a lot of it was free because people spare tickets going in the main stand over <laughs> and and i so, so i wasn't <laughs> i didn't commit that much but um I went to, yeah, six, I mean, we're winning every match. We're top of the league. We're Kane in it. We were, the first half, actually, we were miles ahead. But something didn't, wasn't right still. Despite all of that, the managers invited me back. I've had the experience of the players, all those things. I'm going for free because people, <laughs> people that we know are pleased to see me again. And by Christmas, I'm shocked. 
The next game, I went to Chester at home before Christmas. The next home game I went to was the game one of the league. Because, and it goes back, and I know I've gone on for a long time. I apologise for filling all that air, if you like. But what Craig said, it didn't feel right. It didn't feel, you know, despite all that, all that personal invite back. And that's where it's difficult to maybe understand why anyone gets it. Because I, I you know, I was as big a Barnet fan as anyone before the move. Those it didn't feel right. It didn't feel like it should do. And, it, you know, we've all ventured back on other occasions since the last game I went to, there was the game we got relegated from the league in 2018. Um, you know, that day getting moved out of the way because they were putting tables back in the function suite for an Indian wedding going on while the game's going on. Compare that to the Torquay game in 2001 of the same state. It's like, it, yeah, it just doesn't feel right. Yeah, I, I, I agree. And I think, um, obviously, you had a very different experience to what we probably did in the sense of the, the story you've just described. But, like you, um, you know, coincidentally, I started going along a little bit more when the results started turning, i.e. when we won the league. But similarly, um, you know, I, I, I got to, I think it was a new year, they did like a ticket offer where you got three games for 30 quid or something like that. And I, I went to those, but something just didn't feel right. And all the reservations that I had before uh, hadn't been fixed. Obviously, the location, not going to get fixed. But all these little things around the match day experience, like um, struggling to get a drink at half time, uh, you know, all these all these things that it, it just didn't feel right, and the atmosphere wasn't great, and the crowds weren't great, and it was, it was, it just didn't feel right all the way through. And I, like you, I I, I stopped going, and the next game I went to um, was with you actually. It was the Kidderminster away game where we could have won the league. Obviously, the Glory Hunters jumping on the bandwagon for that one, but. Um, it was, it was, uh, yeah. And then we got to the Gateshead game, where the, the the three of us went with the, with a couple of others, where we where we did the corporate thing, and like we described last time, it felt like we were turning up to someone else's party uninvited, which is well, something, we which is which which is something which which is something we've done both in in and out of football in our lives before, um, but it felt like we were we were just. It wasn't. It didn't feel right, and we had a great day and everything else, and it was it was good in the hospitality, and you know we had a good day afterwards. But the thing about that was, and we said it before, where did we go afterwards? We went yeah, back to the railway. We went. We 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 stayed at the ground for a few drinks and and what have you, and had photos with a trophy and all the rest of it. But we all went back to Barnet afterwards, and it just didn't feel right. The fact that you had to get a cab that took half an hour across london even it's six miles people might think six miles is not that far but actually when you're going across london six miles is actually quite a long way uh, to go back to the railway tavern which was a great night don't get me wrong uh, but it just didn't quite feel or didn't feel close to that 0405 experience of the weaver all the players were there and and the subsequent shenanigans from that it just it's never never quite never quite felt the well weird night well weird night we're all in fucking suits <laughs> in, in, the, in the railway tower. I remember there was a bloke in there that like, I knew from a different context from years before. And um, I walked up to him like, oh, hey, like, Steve, how you doing? And he was like, I don't, I don't know who you are. And I was like, like uh, you don't you, of course you do. And he's going, what are you like, one of Barney's top boys or something? Because like we were all wearing suits. I don't know why he thought the top boys were dressed in suits. I was like, no, no I'm just crazy. <laughs> <laughs> it's all a bit weird, but it's a really. I mean, even that, like that celebration, and there's some people that really meant it. We didn't really mean the celebration. We were, um, 
we, we, we it, was, it was very much bandwagon territory, which is something yeah. that we're all a little bit guilty of over the years anyway. It was it was bandwagon territory, and and if we if we move it on a little bit, I guess going into the next season, obviously we're in the football league, and uh, again coincidentally, I started going along to a few more games. Um, certainly a few more away games to tick the grounds off. I think we went to, I went to Wolves, I went to Millwall. I think uh, Doncaster, was it that season, was it? Or was it yeah. the year after? Doncaster uh, year after, either to tick the ground off. But I remember there was, I was still very indifferent about the whole thing. I was still very much on the fence or whatever. I remember there was a, there was a straw that broke the camel's back for me. And notwithstanding all the stuff about the location, all the rest of it, the match day experience, which we've spoken about, um, towards the end of that season, I started to get to a point where I was a little bit more accepting of it. And, you know, I was grinning and bearing it a little bit. I was like, well, it's, nothing's going to change. I might as well try and go along with it as much as I possibly can. Um, at the end of that season, going into 2016, um, the summer of 2016, uh, the, the, the club put the prices up with the tickets or the membership, as it were. And that's fine because the club... You know, the club's well within its rights to do that, and that's that's fine. But I remember the the way that that was worded and the way that it went out to the supporters was so badly done that it caused quite a significant backlash. And then, in an attempt to try and uh, assuage any concerns, there was an article put out called the 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 the, the, uh, the dilemma, yeah. and it's still on the website now uh, for anyone that wants to read it. And it was basically a way of answering supporters concerns about the prices and it was it just added fuel to the fire it was so badly said it was so badly written that it really rubbed people up the wrong way and it certainly rubbed me up the wrong way in the sense of if this is the club's attitude then i'm just not up for this um the the, the premise was that it was answering the concerns that the people had and at the end of it uh, there was a vote put out to to members and uh, I'm just reading it now. I'm gonna, I'll, I'll, uh, I'll read it word for word. It said, what would you like to see happen with the membership prices for next season? And choice one was increase prices to pr- improve the squad as per the manager's requirements. Or choice two was keep prices the same and maintain the team as best you can. And that, to me, read like a total and complete disaster. It was so bad. And it basically said, well, if you want success at Barnet Football Club, then you've got to pay for it. And I just looked at that and went, no, I'm not up for that. I'm really not up for that. And that said, spoke volumes about the attitude of the club at the time. And it was something that I couldn't get behind. And it was at that point, really, that I voted with my feet. And I, I, I think since then, um, I was more than willing to get a membership, actually, the next year. But since then, I've been to the Hive four or five times in that four and a half years. And uh, I haven't been since the Chesterfield game. We ended up getting relegated. It's it that really, really was was it for me. That was the point at which I I got to the point of I, I can't I can't justify this anymore. Well, even that after that game when Alan didn't get a point when Alan went to Chesterfield because I was there and we had we had quite I mean, relatively speaking getting relegated. It wasn't a bad day. A lot of familiar faces, obviously like us, who turn out for a game like that, and we we. We had tried, we have tried to get into it over the years, and that even the fallout from that was just like, well, no, you, you know, the way you've handled it. It, it definitely feels, it definitely feels like um, the club, the, the the club should mean all of us. That's what the club should mean, and successful clubs 
are ones where the staff, the owners, the players, the fans, etc., are united. That's that's what successful clubs are. It definitely feels like, um, and I think we've, we've we've heard the phrase, you know, you don't understand. That seems to be quite often the message to supporters from from officials at the club. You don't understand. And I, I just think that maybe a little bit of transparency and consistency might go a little bit further to the understanding of supporters. And uh, we haven't had that very often. Yeah, I, I agree. And it's, it's, it's about taking people with you, isn't it? And, you know, the, 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 the attendances now are there for all to see. And people over the course of time, you know, we got relegated and crowds will drop as a result of getting relegated. But, you know, the, the crowds now are as low as they've been for... 35 years at Barnet Football Club, right? When we were a, a struggling mid-table National League conference, Gola League, whatever you want to call it, team, which is where we are now. And the club hasn't gone forward in 25 years. So, oh, well, certainly on the pitch at least. So it's, it's, it's very difficult given the things that we've spoken about. Not ju- It's not just about the football. It's just very difficult for me to put my time, energy, commitment and money into something that is it just feels like it's it's you don't get you don't get anything back out of it and i do feel a little bit i don't feel bitter i feel disappointed that um i've not been able to continue some of the friendships that i had at barnet football club in terms of like some people that we know still go and i don't begrudge them going i've got no issue with them going if, if they want to go and support barnet at the hive then that's that, that's their prerogative i've got no issue with that at all but I do feel like, you know, there's been games there like Brentford, Sheffield United, FA Cup, where, you know, we'd have been all over that. Absolutely. But I, I chose not to go because of my position on the club. And um, I don't feel like I've been denied it, but I just feel like I was put in a position where I couldn't make any other choice. Well, I feel, I feel like I, I, I want to, I want to like love it. I want to care. Like, um, I think I mentioned the one before. I've been away, lived abroad for a few years. Coming back, definitely the perspective of things changes and, and, and what's important. Over and so the, the whole Barnet thing has maybe hit home, but maybe that was the, the motivation to the podcast. I've just literally come back in the country and we decided to do that and then look back and whatever. But, you know, and I think to bring it almost to the present day, the, the playoffs at the end of last year, which, you know, snuck into and that was all quite funny. We went to watch that in the in the railway tavern in New Barnet with with a big group of people. Some I hadn't seen for two or three years prior to that, um, and I probably wouldn't have either, been in this country or another because of going, not going to Barnet. And the Yeovil game, yeah, like, you know, it was it was great. Like, we celebrated the goals. We, you know, it, it was really good. And I was really up for the next game the week after. And I honestly was thinking, even then, you know, as recently as three or four months ago, however long it was, yeah, all right, maybe next year is going to be different. Like maybe next year we'll get right into it. Obviously, we, we spoke to Dan Curry on here. He was a manager at the time. You kind of felt that connection to that. I'll be honest, the Notts County game, the loss, didn't really compete. And it was like, yeah, all right. You know, I, I think back to the playoffs the last time. Shrewsbury, you know, standing on the fence crying. Don't you want your 15 then and you're an adult now. But, but yeah, like, it. I don't know. I don't know what for... Because I think there are others, probably the people in our situation, what it would take to... To bring it back, and um, I'm not saying, you know, on here that I'll never ever set foot in a barn again. I'm not saying I'll never set foot in the hiving. I don't really want to, but I've got lots of friends, like you said there, James, that, that do go, and, and people that I'd like to see, and people that 
I enjoy socialising with at football. Um, but you know, I'd love something to change, something to to make it make it more I, appealing. I. I, I I, 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 yeah, that's a good point actually, because I genuinely don't know what it is now that would, what, what would, what could change now that would get me going back regularly. Uh, Darren Curry, maybe I think he was more of a player in your time, but still, you know, someone that's well thought of in the club and revered in the club, and now he's not the manager anymore. You know, when we spoke to him and when he was involved in the club, I felt like a little bit of a flicker of something. Something could be there, but I genuinely don't know what it's going to take now for me to go back uh, regularly or at, at all, to be perfectly honest with you. And when you've got maybe now 40, 50% of the fan base, probably in a similar position because the crowds are well below a thousand week in, week out, not notwithstanding COVID and all the rest of it. That's a very difficult place for the, for the club to be in because what's the future really for Barnet Football Club? under that context. Do, do you know what, right? Um, t- when, when we went regularly, <clears throat> we believed in the club, right? It, we felt part of the club. It felt like our club. We felt part of it. Um, I don't know what Barnet Football Club in its current incarnation believes in or stands for. It changes its mind frequently on what it is and where it is and, and how it operates. Um, it, it seems to prioritise the economics over the engagement. Um, re- I recognise the economics are important. But the engagement is probably the, the only chance it has of a future. I look at it top to bottom. We have a playing staff that is, uh, n- hasn't been successful for a, you know, most of the period of time at the, the Hive. We chop and change managers frequently, so there's no um, top-to-bottom ethos to get behind. I think the commercial division works very, very hard, but I can't get behind um, things like let's be together and um, the B army when, you know, there's only 500 people in the ground, things like that. I find that patronising and just not a, re- not a reflection of what's actually happening. So I find that very difficult to get behind. We have no connection to our history. In fact, we actively... Uh, disencourage conversation around the history. We, it, for, for, for reasons that aren't clear to me, we don't play in the traditional colours of the club. We have other parts of the club that are football related with different names to Barnet. Uh, and, and certainly it's an indication is that that could easily be the direction of the, the Barnet football club that we know and love. Uh, if you look at the side of the Hive, it has um, both the London Bees and Barnet Football Club there, so it's very hard to feel attached to it. I don't know what there is to get behind, because who would you be getting behind, or what would you be getting behind? I, I don't know. This is the thing that there's, there's there's nothing to believe in. That's the, that's the the crux of it. I knew I knew what we were at, at Underhill. We were a plucky little North London club that did its best. With a, with a low budget and it broke even and it we weren't we weren't great but we but we were what we were and no one likes us but we don't care and all those kind of things that really felt true about what we were there I don't know what we are or what it is anymore and, and that's why I find it hard to connect to and I, and I 
Do you know what? I, my dad's a season ticket holder, well, not this year, but he has been since we moved to the Hive. And I've spoken to other people of vision, so he's 61. I've spoken to other people of generation. They don't know how to stop um, a lot of those people. And I've got huge time for that as well. I've got no issue with that, you know, fair enough. Um, but I think unless you're so, uh, unless it's such a habit for you to go and you've, that's all you've known for more than us, so whatever we are, 10, 15 years or 20 years, so 40, 50 years, I don't know, uh, I don't know what the next step is. And Dan Whiting made a good point. Didn't, didn't he say it's an aging population now? At yeah, who's coming through? Who's going through? And I also think as well, really like latching onto what you said about what, what it is and stuff. What's it like for the youth, like the young supporters now, like as in the ones who, you know, like we've, you know, nostalgized and loved on this podcast all the way through about, you know, when we were 15 to 21 or whatever, what's it like standing on the bees terrace? Um, or, you know, in we, can, uh, we, we can mock that Ian, but we, we were probably equally. Um, no, no, but, but no, I'm not mocking the individual. I'm saying, that, but, but, but where's the, like, where's the heart and soul? You know, we had the thing with Dan about like on the East terrace, the, the yeah. music scene and the same on the West bank before that. I just don't imagine that, there's the same thing. I could be wrong. I'd love to hear, again, you know, I would love to hear from our, our audience of people that maybe we've got this massively wrong, but what is, what is it like? Because I feel like, like you said, you've got a hardcore of older fans who go because it's habit or because it's completely ingrained and they've stuck with it and respect to them. Fair enough. But what's appealing about becoming a Barnet fan now? I mean, you could argue what's appealing at Underhill, but what, what's, what, what feeling is there about, about the place? Because like I say, it's the most sterile, nondescript experience ever goes to Hive. If you, I, you know, I'm, I, the, the Barnet Football Club shop on the high road was an odd thing, but it did feel very Barnet when you're in there. And then when they moved it down to Underhill, it felt very Barnet in there. The current one is like a sports shop that happens to sell some Barnet stuff. There, apparently, I've heard. It's gone. Well, so it used to feel like a sports shop that had some Barnet stuff in it. And then, and then you made the point, didn't you? Um, you know, you're being shoved out of the way so they can put tables in for a, a wedding. Um, and look, like I said, I'm supportive of the need for it to be economically viable. I, I, I think that's an honourable way to run a football club. If you, but, but, but I would add this. If you have to push your supporters to one side so that you can put tables in for a completely unrelated wedding, then the venue is not fit for purpose. It, it is not serving its needs. That's yeah. a mistake. It's a mistake that will cost, and it's, and we've seen it. It's costing now. Yeah, and I, and I think, you know, coming back to sort of almost finish my piece on the whole thing is that people say, or, you know, the original promise was that we'd, we'd climb the leagues, we'd be challenging, certainly by this point in League One, you know, you made a comment uh, which we shared on our Instagram in the summer, which it's on the website still somewhere about uh, from 2017, about we need to be in League One ASAP. I don't think, given the current league position, they're going to be there anytime soon. Um, but what would that look like there? Would that be like, I, I you know, that, that wouldn't entice me back necessarily just to see them playing at a higher level of football because they've not got everything else right around it. They've got it wrong on the pitch anyway. You know, we haven't even touched them. We haven't got time to do the fact that Graham Wesley was appointed the Barnet manager and that was okay. Uh, by a man who knew exactly what that was about, or, or the fact that, or the fact that Mark Mark McGee was blamed for it. Yep, that whole that whole season. Uh, you know, it's not really in the in the nature of the podcast, but you could do a whole 
podcast or similar episode talking about what an absolute mess from start to finish that was. And it was that summer, actually, where he's put the thing out about we need to be at League One ASAP. And there's only one person who's appointing these different managers and being, you know, out of touch with the support and, and, and letting that happen. And it was, you know, it's that same season on the last day we have to win to stay up and rely on the result. Where there's a wedding going on where you can't access certain facilities in the ground. Like, it's absolutely ridiculous. So for those Barnet fans who say, you know, because now if you look on Twitter, it's a pretty evil place related to Barnet. And it's a lot of blame being thrown at the one man's door, not necessarily unjustifiably, but it's about, you know, we were promised League One or whatever. Would it be any different? The whole the whole backdrop of it or, you know, everything else. Would it be any different? Would it be any better? I don't know. I'll tell you what, if we, so say that the move to the Hive had been in the context of us being promoted from League Two to League One and we then went, right, we're in League One now, we're moving to the Hive because we think that for the, for the next level of ambition of the club, there's a chance here. I, I think I could have got behind that. I think I think I could understand it. What I couldn't. It's the crest of a wave, then, isn't it? Yeah, I do. You're, you're, you're being you're, you're being drift. And also, I recognise that if, if the ambition of the football club is to be a you know a, a, one of the best in the country, you know, or in the top you know forty in the country or something like that, they probably you you'd probably take a sacrifice of having to move a little bit further away, maybe to have the facility that allows you to do it. I don't buy it in the current context. Um, I, I just don't buy it in the current context and in the context it happened. Yeah, and if we're, if we're talking about, going back to Ian's point, if we're talking about straws that break camels' backs, then the appointment of Graham Wesley, God, we could be here for hours talking about that. Firstly, the lack of awareness that shows around the history of the club, recent history of the club with that individual. And secondly, the fact that you won't take responsibility for it and put it on Mark McGee. I mean, come on. This, what you, You're playing us for fools and we're not buying it. Well, it's, well it's, was it? It's... it's, it's, it's how many years ago was it? What, what happened to Destiny? What does what, what, what Destiny do? De- Destiny will Destiny always, take, will always over. take over. Well, maybe it did. Maybe it did. And that's where we are now. This is our destiny. Uh, you know, even in the time since we've been on here, playing Willstone, 32 years since the last time we played them and we're playing them at the ground that was for them and they're above us in the league. Maybe Destiny has taken over. Um, <laughs> and, you know, uh, for my sort of finishing gambit, we've been really measured and we are. And, and I don't, But, you know, the, the heart and soul was ripped out of the football club, the, you know, taken from the community. And I remember saying it on uh, on social media at the time when, when we went down in 2013 and moving, I don't know how certain people sleep at night. And I stand by that. I, I think, you know, it, it's disgusting what's happened and that's where I am. Well, on that cheery note, um, I think I've summarised my position. Look, I, I wanted to give it a go. It wasn't for me, and I feel like a lot of people are probably in a similar boat to me in that respect. Um, where we are now, not just the fact that we are a, a very poor conference side, um, the, where we are uh, location-wise, the fact that there's no um, inkling of a return to where we consider to be home, uh, it makes it very difficult for me to ever consider going back um, being a regular supporter, if at all, um, which is very sad in a way. Um, and, uh, yeah, like I said, I don't begrudge people that have stayed. I don't begrudge friends that have stayed. And it's it's always good to see people that have stayed. Um, but it's, 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 it's quite a depressing place to be, actually, when you think about it. 
Uh, yeah, I, I, I agree and, and probably share bits of both of what things both of you said. I, my feeling is that I still feel like a Barnet supporter. I, I didn't have a club before Barnet and I, 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 I still feel like a Barnet supporter, but I don't feel like a supporter of the thing that goes on in Harrow. Um, I completely accept that um, officials of the club have a different agenda to mine. I, I, I don't like it. I feel personally it upsets me, but I accept that there's a, that there's a different agenda. Um, and in the end, um, it, if it's a success, then then good for the people that, that, that have done it. And if it's not, then what a, what a real shame for everyone. Uh, it just is a real shame for everyone. But I, but I think unless the, I honestly think unless the club has a way of reintroducing or, or refining its identity, I, I don't see it ever being successful. Yeah. Uh, and what, we have seen a steady decline. And what, what I'd say as well, I don't take any pleasure out of it not working. I do, I don't a, bit. Say, I, I do a bit, actually. I, I do a bit, but on a personal level. I feel very sad for, the, I feel sad for my dad. I feel sad for my friends that still go. Um, but I... But I, I'm not, no, pleasure isn't the right word, but I feel maybe some level of personal satisfaction. I told you so. That's what, that's what I feel. I, I know that. And I feel, that. I feel good about that. Well, I don't want that. No, I think we're in the same place. Don't, don't want that at all. I don't want that. I, in an ideal world, I'd be supporting Barnet, being Barnet wherever they're being, but it would be Barnet and it's not. And so that's exactly why I think it's the same thing that. I, I feel like my views on the situation have been poo-pooed and therefore I, when it's gone in a different direction and it isn't the thing that I associate with anymore, then I don't, then, you know, whatever, you know, good luck to you. But if it goes wrong, well, look, you know where we are. Well, more, you do know where we are. Um, and happy to chat. If you've got this far, uh, thank you for sticking with us on the podcast, listening through, um, like we said at the beginning, it's something we wanted to address for a long time and hopefully we've done that um, and, you know, be very welcome to hear people's views or, you know, get in touch with us via our social media for a bit of feedback on this one. Um, I think, you know, the, the main the main crux of this is well, we are all Barnet fans. What, what that means these days is a different thing. Um, and look, who knows, now fans are allowed back in and, and COVID maybe is there's an end in sight. I'd love to say at some point, hopefully in the near future or the future at least, uh, we'll all be on an away terrace somewhere singing a little respect by Erasure uh, after several beers. Um, so thank you for listening. Uh, cheers. This could be our last one. <laughs> this could be our last one. We might get banned from Twitter. I'll take Robinson on. And there's goal of the season, Frank Murphy. Well, most people would say I was mad. It's a bad try and that's a terrific-